what does Earth Day mean to yogis? It's actually a very important question. We'll leave aside the commercial, political, ideological levels of why the day was created and deal with what is authentic and real and important and what the Sat Yoga Foundation is doing in relation to the earth. That question, which deals with real one, we all know about because we're doing that work. We are engaged in using all of our phenomenal plane resources in such projects as reforestation and improving wildlife corridors and watershed protection and water management and sustainable organic farming methods and all of the other various ways in which we are trying to live in accord with nature and not participate in its ravishing but instead attempting to mitigate the damage that humans have already committed and to cope with the whirlwind that we have uh, earned in exchange for our mistreatment of the earth in terms of climate change and seismic instability and all of the other ways in which Mother Earth is letting us know she's not happy with human conduct. And it's, it's this uh, understanding that brings yogic consciousness into great relevance. Because from the level of ego consciousness, nothing can really be done to change the way that society, as it is currently formed and in which it operates with extractive principles, profit principles, uh, can gain a truly worshipful attitude toward the Earth Mother, the goddess, who in Hindu mythology is known by a very wide variety of names, such as Bhumi Devi and Prithvi Devi and many others. And you don't ever want to get that goddess unhappy with you. But when that happens, the only remedy is a yogic reconciliation with the earth goddess. And that reconciliation must first begin with the surrender to our place in nature. When a yogi speaks of the earth, we speak of nature as an intelligence, a form of cosmic intelligence that functions in terms of producing planetary life 
And so the planet Earth is a goddess, Gaia, as she is called in the West. And the Gaian mind, to use an expression Terence McKenna was fond of, it's actually more the Gaian heart, I believe, but it is the, the fertilization of the mind of spirit with the heart of nature that is the only hope for restoration of life in a sustainable and beautiful form. But this principle of nature, which as Spinoza noted, has two levels, natura naturata, the level of the natural forms that we see around us, but the real goddess of nature is natura naturans, the creative intelligence that produces the beautiful natural forms and their ecosystemic relationality and mutuality and the power of life that flows through this symbiotic web that is in fact self-sustaining because of the nature of the type of system that it is as an open dissipative system. And the form that life takes as the Buddhists have understood for a long time is a form in which there is an oscillation between birth, growth, decline, and death. And the death then produces a fertilization and a rebirth, and the process goes on and on like that. So there, this happens at every level of our fractal cosmos. Therefore, there is no such thing as a permaculture, because nothing is permanent. But if you can create a prema culture, a culture that functions according to the principle and the energy of divine love, you can create a culture which is sustainable throughout its cycles of birth and death and rebirth in a way that produces blessings rather than a, a sense of destruction. There is a sense of eternal life, even though that life goes through processes of waveforms that crest and that trough and that produce death as a part of life. And we are now in a moment in which, at a planetary scale, we are going through another one of those passages of mega-death and the rebirth of life that only the goddess can enable through our loveful and reverent relationship with her from the level of consciousness in which there can be a consummation and union between the power of the absolute spirit of pure awareness and the luminous power of creative intelligence based on beauty that is the goddess of nature. That movement together of Shiva and Shakti are what bring about the capacity for a rebirth of our planet. And in order to do that, the human species, which is the one species that is the, uh, the joker in the deck, 
you could say, of the life forms of Earth because we do not operate on the basis of hardwired instinct that the will of nature in her wisdom chose to enable stability of ecosystems, but we have an ability to move throughout the spectrum of consciousness. But when human consciousness falls below a certain level, it stimulates a negative feedback mechanism in the thermostat and then the earth begins a cleansing process in order to force the rise of consciousness again to get rid of those elements that are in a negative and uh, anti-life state, cleanse and purify the planet and give rebirth and restoration to the web of life through that power that brought life into being in the first place that is beyond any of the laws of causality but operates teleologically because nature's presence is always based on telos. It's based on the purpose for which nature exists, which is the emanation of beauty, of joy, in order for God's play to be harmonized in the natural world to produce a kingdom of happiness, to produce a world that thrives, that flourishes, that expresses the virtues and nobility and empowerment of godliness through the forms that we have the good fortune to be able to inhabit and to use in the service of the Supreme Father and nature as mother. And so in order to understand mother nature, we have to understand that the human species is a mirror image of the other forms of nature, which are divided into three kingdoms. And usually in the uh, conventional scientific Form, it's thought that the mineral kingdom is non-conscious and then the plant kingdom has a rudimentary consciousness and then the animal kingdom with the humans at the supposed crown of creation. But in fact, it doesn't really work that way, especially within human consciousness. So what we have to come to understand as yogis is that although our organisms are animal in an obviously observable way, but our souls are not. Our souls are plants. And our spirit is a mineral. The highest is the mineral. Why do you think God is called the rock of ages? Why do you think that God consciousness has always been shown to be gold or to be jade if you're a Taoist in China or the pearl of great price for the Christians or the diamond in the lotus for a Buddhist or the philosopher's stone for the alchemists? It's always a mineral, a precious stone. 
Now, yogis know that that's a metaphor and that the diamond or the pearl are that stable form of changeless consciousness that emanates supreme light through all of the facets of the diamond or all of the, uh, the, the parts of the hypersphere of the, the pearl or through all of the various different mineral metaphors. They are all representing a diamond of light the Jyoti Bindu, that infinitesimal point which contains all of the information necessary for the restoration of life on a planetary basis once a world has been destroyed by a fallen consciousness. But we must raise our consciousness to that diamond level in order to access that information. Now, the mind, the soul contains the mind at two different levels. The level that we are used to functioning in, the level of the Logos that deals with phenomenal plain reason could be considered a Logos that operates like a particular kind of plant, a tree. It is arborescent in its nature. Our logic is arborescent. Our minds branch out and discover new corollaries to every kind of axiom and develops a logic that branches out into all of the various permutations of possibility. But it is all functioning as a tree, whether it's a geometry or any other form of tree. It is a symbolic form that takes that uh, uh, model and functions in that way in order to sustain life and to sustain knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The problem is once that tree of good and evil begins to give fruits of evil and the fruits of evil overpower in the winter time of life the fruits of goodness, then that tree begins to die. And so the tree of life, however, underneath in its secret roots contains another mind form. And we have to move from the arborescent and from the tree of binary knowledge that is based in dualities of good and evil, of life and death, of right and wrong to a level of consciousness that transcends these conventional opposites. And this form of consciousness is mirrored by what is known as the rhizome. A rhizomatic mind is able to develop in all kinds of ways, secretly, underground, employing both the unconscious and the superconscious in ways that are esoteric 
and that produced not so much a tree of branching options, but instead produces a massive form of creativity that results in various kinds of magical chemistry, of metamorphic divinization of itself, of intensities and powers that are not available above ground. It has to remain hidden, and it's in that hiddenness and rootedness that then the magic mushrooms can sprout up from the rhizome and whole new kinds of chemistry, neurochemistry, can form that light up the brain, that light up the possibility of thought beyond anything that seems possible via the tree's various branches. But it is the combination of the arborescent and the rhizomatic that is important. Gilles Deleuze, the post-structuralist philosopher in France at the end of the 20th century, is very famous for developing his understanding of the rhizomatic form of thinking. But it is, he put it in opposition to the arborescent. They are actually uh, symbiotic. And we need to be able to develop both of these together to produce a kind of plant that can overcome the duality of the good and evil and that can produce a final fruit that has never yet existed. That final fruit at the end of time, at the exhaustion of culture, at the point at which the tree has no more options, no more branching possibilities, and in which it's about to fall over. At the very top of that tree, then, is produced a star, a star fruit. <laughs> it is this star fruit that is the the, the star of Bethlehem on the evergreen tree that is celebrated every year. And this star fruit is the diamond. It produces a mineral as a fruit. How does a plant produce a mineral? Uh, the way it does this is very simple. Plants are phototropic, okay? They follow the light. Right? You know the sunflower will turn and make sure it gets every ray of sun and it accumulates it. And then the plants are able to move into a process of photosynthesis where they turn the light, the photons from the sun, into chemicals. And these chemicals, you could say, are of the mineral kingdom. But what is it? It's a captured photon that will then be carried in chlorophyll, and it will be able to give the life energy to the plant. And humans eat that life energy, digest the plant matter, and are able to remove the photon. And we actually live on the photonic energy that started out as something in the mineral kingdom and now becomes divinely luminous within us because the photon is related to 
and morphed by our consciousness into its original nature as divine light, not just sunlight. The sunlight gives prana, but the yogi is able to transform, transmogrify the prana into shakti. And that shakti then enables another level of consciousness to emerge as a property of our being. And that is the God seed. You see, what happens is human nature must go to seed. Okay? We must return to the God seed, and that God seed is produced only when the plant is at the point of its exhaustion, when the ego is at the point of its death. It has a near-death experience, which is a rebirth as the God seed. And that replaces the ego or and the soul as the organizing principle that motivates the actions of the animal body and enables that animal body to become a body of light. It is this that is the ultimate act of Gaia, of the earth, at that moment of transition from a planetary death to a planetary rebirth via the God seeds that are produced by the plant that is called the human mind that has been swallowed by an animal body and has forgotten itself until that moment when it sprouts again and the God seed emerges. And this all happens as a natural process. And this is what we are celebrating on Earth Day. I assume everybody knows that. But we now have the obligation to fertilize our tree of life with such chemicals that will accelerate the emergence of the God seed. And the chemicals that we must use are divine love and wisdom. And they must overcome all the negativity of the mind parasite worms that have inhabited all the fruits that we would otherwise eat. And if we eat the ones with worms, we will get contaminated with those wormy sanskaras that are not able to then reach God's seed levels of consciousness. And this is the reason for purification. This is the reason for the, the need of the separation of Prakriti from Purusha, okay? The first moment is a fission, a separation, a separation from the elements of nature so that the power of spirit can realize itself again as that diamond seed that will then re-worship, reassert its love for and union with the power of nature, the mother goddess. And through that fertilization, the God seed will be planted and will grow again as a new tree of life and bring about a new cycle of existence in an otherwise dying planet. And that is what enables the eternal circle of life to never be broken. But there must be a passage through death. 
And we must come to understand that death is not the breaking of the circle. It is the completion of the circle. It is the completion of the circle when our consciousness survives death without any loss of continuity because we have achieved complete disidentification from the body, from the mind, from the emotions, from all of those lower levels of consciousness that are based in impermanent forms and we reach that one enduring, everlasting spark of divine life and love that is the God seed, that is our true nature. And when we vibrate at that frequency, we create an energy field which gives Gaia the sign that it is now okay to restore the planet because human life has returned to sanity. And whatever remnant of that life survives through the cataclysmic change because it has reached such a high level of consciousness to accrue the merit of making the process of movement through the portal between the omega point and the next alpha point, that passage is itself the proof that consciousness has conquered the illusion of death. But to do that, the ego that is embedded in the fear of death must have been dissolved beforehand. There must be no relationship or sanskara left of ego consciousness because it vibrates at the level of desire and fear. And it is this reason that the dharma must wean us from desire. It is this that is the, the reason for brahmacharya. It is the complete letting go of desire for forms so that we return to the formless self and so that our love is only for that formless self that reunites form, matter, earth, nature with the supernatural sky father who is transcendent of the universe and the transcendent and the imminent goddess become again one. And in that single reunion, life again begins. It commences from the zero point without any causal relationship to a past because life at that divine level lives in the eternal present. And in the present, there are no superseding causes or effects of the past that could interfere with its pristine beauty and growth into its optimal forms and harmonious ecosystemic relationality with all beings. It is this that has always been uh, metaphorized as the kingdom of heaven, as the orchard, the garden of Eden, and it is this Edenic world that we must bring about again in reality at a, a planetary level by first accomplishing it at the microcosmic level. When we have become completely harmonious within and free of both desire and fear. And if there is desire, there is fear.
And so the easiest thing to work on is the release of all desire for anything but the God seed. Because that's all that can save us anyway. It's all that has value any longer. Everything else has been defiled. The one priceless, undefiled essence that is left is that diamond of light that is our true nature. And by returning to that essential zero point that is transcendent of the world, that is the singularity that will be able to explode in a redreaming of the world, the telos of the will of God that has always had that intention will be fulfilled by matter's surrender to spirit. It is this that enables that ultimate union. The mother goddess wants that supreme energy to fertilize her again. And that can only happen through yogis who contain and emanate the God seed of eternal life. But we must function at that level and emanate that energy to the entirety of the cosmos. Because although we call it Earth Day, the Earth does not live in isolation from the sun. We are phototropically related to the sun. Our life depends on that in the same way that the life of our soul depends on the divine light of God. And we depend on the moon and the planetary systems and the galactic systems and the intergalactic systems, even if we don't know it. We are supported by a harmonious balance of energies that consists of the intelligence of the cosmic mind in which the Gaian mind is situated and is a holon of that even larger consciousness. And so we must reach the absolute in which we are in harmony with all planetary life forms because we are not the only one. And in which then that generosity of sharing eternal life is received by all beings in the cosmos who are hungry for the darshan of the God seed that they have lost touch with on their planets as well, no matter how much they may have evolved artificial intelligence and material technologies. Once a culture loses touch with the God seed, it will die. And it will die because it will fall into ever lower forms of consciousness that require the fuel of anger, of war, of domination. Just like our own dominator model of the male ego destroyed the beauty of a, a balanced world in the ancient times in which the feminine was honored. And so as this has happened on a cosmic level as well, those beings in dying civilizations are being drawn to the light of the God seed. But where does it appear in the cosmos? It is this function of appearing and emanating the signal of the presence of the God seed that is our cosmic function beyond simply 
the sustenance of the earth as a goddess, but all of the goddesses of all of the living planets of the cosmos seek that same energy. And so we are here to share and disseminate that seed, those seeds, because it is plural within the bodies of all of the various yogic archetypal forms that become singular individuals. And in the next phase of the historic moment, those seeds will be disseminated into the cosmos once again. And it is this moment of miraculous revelation and redemption on a cosmic plane that is something inconceivable to the human mind at the ego level. But the goodness of God transcends the limits of a given planet. It is cosmic and transcosmic in scope. It inhabits and pervades and sustains a multiverse. It is this infinity of infinite goodness that sustains all that is or was or ever shall be that we are the manifestations of. And to be those manifestations, we must be impeccable, without sin, without flaw, without attachment to the form, without ego. We must be the empty vessel, the holy grail that contains the Holy Spirit of God and pours that out as the nectar of immortal life to all beings of the universe who seek it. And it is this product that is the ultimate produce that must be brought into form by our ashram. It is this produce that is very rare in the universe. This ultimate elixir, this ultimate nectar that is the currency of the next age. It is this that is more valuable than anything that the universe could produce. And if we can produce that and share that, then the sustenance from the goddess and from that Supreme Spirit will be given us to be able to thrive and flourish and produce infinities of God seeds to feed the universes that all seek the divine light. And it has to begin on one singular earth and is disseminated into all regions of reality. This earth is one of those chosen sacred places of the goddess's habitation in which the God seed is now emerging and in which this cosmic process will culminate in momentous and miraculous events that cannot be imagined by the human level of consciousness, but that will proceed from us and through us by the God seed, through the will of that omnipotent and omniscient power that has given us this extraordinary life in which we are dedicated being vessels 
of that ultimate supreme goodness. May you all thrive as those trees of life fertilized by the rhizomatic presence of the hidden light and love and power of the earth goddess herself and produce the final fruit of existence and shine as the god seed in every moment. Happy Earth Day. <laughs>